Welcome to Morning Report Top Stories, a selection of news from RNZ's morning news programme. Protesters who attacked the English version of the Treaty of Waitangi at Te Papa yesterday say everyone has the right to go into the museum and trust that the information there is factual. <coughs> Excuse me. Twelve people were arrested yesterday after using spray paint and an angle grinder to damage a wooden display panel. I spoke earlier to one of the protesters, uh, Kelly O'Neill. I began by asking her what gave her group the right to go in and vandalise the Te Papa ex- exhibit. Well, we believe that everybody has a right to this history. Everybody has a right to go into Te Papa and trust that the museum is giving them factual information about history because that is their job as the National Museum and the National Archive of Our History. So some people might see this as vandalism, but we made an effort to be creative and to improve the exhibition. And if Te Papa were to leave the work that we did in there yesterday, we actually believed that that would be more informative if they created some explanation around it. So we were Sure, I, I think people can understand, can understand your argument. What they may struggle with is the action that was taken uh, uh, in a place, a taonga of, of the nations, which belongs to everybody, and again, why you felt that you had the right to do that when there are, you know, various, um, there's a Māori leadership, there's eminent people who are involved with the history of, of the museum. So we made a sacrifice yesterday. Some of our friends will be having to deal with the sacrifices we made ongoingly. There were, from the inception of Te Papa's, uh, from the creation of Te Papa, there has been strong voices against this exhibition and Te Papa has continued to ignore them. So we can't just continue to sit around for another 183 years and wait for them to choose Mm. to do the right thing. They have proven that they are not going to do it willingly. They have ignored previous groups who have tried to peacefully and uh, we were acting in peace as well. We were making sure that everything was entirely safe. So we've been working with Te Papa for over two years on this campaign and they have chosen to ignore not only us uh, but... Uh, but could you not have... I mean, there are there are mechanisms to, to protest and to voice your opinion. Uh, there is uh, capacity through uh, lobbying Parliament with petitions. There is MPs. There are all sorts of mechanisms in a democracy to, to express your displeasure at this display. Why, again... What gave you the right to to take matters into your own hands here? We have done all of those things. We've protested, we occupied the space, we've had Official Information Act requests. We have been in correspondence with the board, we've talked to the staff at Te Papa. Um, A lot of people in those spaces have agreed with us but have felt powerless to do something. As I said before, we decided to make a sacrifice because we don't want to be doing this kind of thing, but sometimes when the law is not okay, there are reasons to push back against that. And what we have seen in the media is that this action has created a dialogue that has perhaps been missing from mainstream media in the past. And so I think we were entirely justified in taking the action that we did. The current debate... Uh, that has, I guess, been ignited by some of the coalition agreement policies around uh, t- the use of te reo Māori language, the principles of the treaty. Has that had anything to do with your decision yesterday? 
No, we have been planning this since before the changes government. Of course, the history of Te Tiriti o Waitangi, including things like the principles and uh, the Te Papa o Te Raki report from the Waitangi Tribunal, this has all informed our action. But we haven't acted in response to the government. This is something that we have done because it is well overdue. It's 25 years overdue since the Māori Advisory Board that recommended to Papa not create the exhibition as it is currently displayed, were ignored, and they created it as it is anyway, which has led to continued confusion and uh, misunderstanding about the two texts between Māori and Pākehā. The, um, you know, the argument, I suppose, for many may be that as ugly as history is sometimes, we still have to uh, not erase it, we still have to acknowledge it. Is there not a place for the English text, even if it is out of date, for people to be able to reflect and remember um, about what mistakes have been made in the past? There is absolutely a place for the English text, and it needs to be in Te Papa. It needs to be with an explanation of the history of, of Te Tiriti o Waitangi. So at the moment, Te Papa is displaying it in a way that makes it look like these two texts are equal and that there isn't a difference between them. That is the problem. We absolutely believe that there is a place for this text that needs to be shown in a relevant context that helps people to understand rather than misleads them. And that was Kelly O'Neill, part of a group that uh, protested and attacked the version of the English version of the Treaty of Waitangi at Te Papa yesterday. Well, let's get more on this with New Zealand's Climate Change Minister, Simon Watts, who's also in Dubai on the line. Uh, good morning, Minister. Your reaction to this draft communique, does it go far enough for New Zealand? Well, look, Corin, thank you. I've just stepped out of the session with 200 countries to provide you an update on where we're at. The simple answer is it doesn't. Uh, it does not go far enough. Uh, and I've been uh, in meetings alongside the COP presidency with USA, Canada, uh, UK, Japan uh, and Australia and conveyed on behalf of New Zealand uh, that the wording in the draft text does not convey the degree of ambition required uh, and that uh, it needs to be uh, rectified. And uh, that has come across very loud and clear. Uh, and, you know, as the correspondent said before, uh, words such as could uh, reduce, uh, simply do not cut it. Okay, so is New Zealand pushing for more than just the reduction in consumption and production? Are we pushing for a phase out or a phase down of of fossil fuels? Well, look, we've been uh, calling for uh, at least a transition away from fossil fuels, but the wording in the draft text, as it states at the moment, uh, has the word could and, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, even softer than uh, that position. And, you know, the reality is uh, that is not aligned uh, with the science uh, and uh, not aligned with our commitment to limit global warming by 1.5 degrees. And uh, we're not alone in that view. But the challenge is uh, this is a consensus process. Uh, and there are a few countries uh, or more than a few that uh, have different views on that. How far is New Zealand prepared to go? A, a walkout? Oh, look, we're not at that stage yet. We're part of the umbrella group, which, as I mentioned, includes uh, some of the largest countries in this world. In the world, uh, and uh, you know, it's getting a little bit later here at night. But I expect that we'll be working through the night 
uh, on this. I will go back into the session now uh, and uh, potentially make a, a public comment on behalf of New Zealand in terms of uh, where we see this, uh, where we see the, uh, the situation, and reinforce the position of our, our colleague countries that we need more ambition. Is New Zealand in, involved in trying to draft an alternative, something that you're putting up? Can you give us any details on what that might be, if you were? Yes, we are. We've got a small but a highly experienced negotiating team here on the ground. As I say, we're working very closely with uh, the US, uh, UK, Australia, Japan and Canada uh, on the drafting and uh, we're very much uh, part of that uh, group and at that table. So is the key point or idea to get our heads around here is that New Zealand and your the aligned countries that you're with are pushing for this transition away. Now, the language could be fluid, but as it currently stands, it's saying just reduce production. You're saying there's got to be a signal that while it might take time, we've got to transition away from fossil fuels. That's correct. Uh, And as I said, the language uh, at the moment uh, is not aligned with the science around uh, the 1.5 degrees as well. Is the, your current government's position to restart oil and gas exploration offshore, is that hampering any uh, efforts from New Zealand in terms of its reputation? No, no absolutely not. Uh, we are consistent in our uh, position here uh, and we're working very uh, collaboratively with like-minded countries in terms of uh, this text. So, uh, no, it's not. So you've got a long night ahead. Absolutely, but that's why we're here. It's critically important that we get an outcome and and actually more importantly uh, for our Pacific colleagues as well. Uh, Our role here is to advocate strongly on their behalf uh, and that's what we'll do. Thank you very much for your time. That is New Zealand's Climate Change Minister Simon Watts who's uh, right in the thick of uh, negotiations at the moment at the COP28 summit in Dubai. It's coming down to the wire. Well, let's get more on this with New Zealand's Climate Change Minister, Simon Watts, who's also in Dubai on the line. Uh, Good morning, Minister. Your reaction to this draft communique, does it go far enough for New Zealand? Well, look, Corin, thank you. I've just stepped out of the session with 200 countries to provide you an update on where we're at. The simple answer is it doesn't. Uh, It does not go far enough. Uh, And I've been uh, in meetings alongside the COP presidency with USA, Canada, uh, UK, Japan uh, and Australia and conveyed on behalf of New Zealand uh, that the wording in the draft text does not convey the degree of ambition required uh, and that uh, it needs to be uh, rectified. And uh, that has come across very loud and clear. Uh, And, you know, as the correspondent said before, uh, words such as could uh, reduce, uh, simply do not cut it. Okay, so is New Zealand pushing for more than just the reduction in consumption and production? Are we pushing for a phase out or a phase down of of fossil fuels? Well, look, we've been uh, calling for uh, at least a transition away from fossil fuels, but the wording in the draft text, as it states at the moment, uh, has the word could and, um, you know, that is, uh, you know, even softer than uh, that position. And, you know, the reality is uh, that is not aligned uh, with the science uh, and uh, not aligned with our commitment to limit global warming by 1.5 degrees. And uh, we're not alone in that view. But the challenge is uh, this is a consensus process uh, and there 
are a few countries, uh, or more than a few, that uh, have different views on that. How far is New Zealand prepared to go a, a walkout? Uh, look, we're not at that stage yet. We're part of the umbrella group, which, as I mentioned, includes uh, some of the largest countries in this world. In the world, uh, and uh, you know, it's getting a little bit later here at night, but I expect that we'll be working through the night uh, on this. I will go back into the session now uh, and uh, potentially make a, a public comment on behalf of New Zealand in terms of uh, where we see this, uh, where we see. The, uh, the situation and reinforce the position of our, our colleague countries that we need more ambition. Is New Zealand in, involved in trying to draft an alternative, something that you're putting up? Can you give us any details on what that might be if you were? Yes, we are. We've got a small but uh, highly experienced negotiating team here on the ground. As I say, we're working very closely with uh, the US, uh, UK, Australia, Japan and Canada uh, on the drafting, and uh, we're very much uh, part of that uh, group and at that table. So is the key point or idea to get our heads around here is that New Zealand and your the aligned countries that you're with are pushing for this transition away. Now, the language could be fluid, but as it currently stands, it's saying just reduce production. You're saying there's got to be a signal that while it might take time, we've got to transition away from fossil fuels. That's correct. Uh, and as I said, the language uh, at the moment uh, is not aligned with the science around uh, the 1.5 degrees as well. Is the, your current government's position to restart oil and gas exploration offshore, is that hampering any uh, efforts from New Zealand in terms of its reputation? No, no absolutely not. Uh, we are consistent in our uh, position here uh, and we're working very uh, collaboratively with like-minded countries in terms of uh, this text. So, uh, no, it's not. So you've got a long night ahead? Absolutely, but that's why we're here. It's critically important that we get an outcome and, and actually more importantly uh, for our Pacific colleagues as well. Uh, our role here is to advocate strongly on their behalf uh, and that's what we'll do. Thank you very much for your time. That is New Zealand's Climate Change Minister, Simon Watts, who's uh, right in the thick of uh, negotiations at the moment at the COP28 summit in Dubai. It's coming down to the wire. A Māori legal expert is urging Te Papa to listen to protesters and remove its large display of the English version of the Treaty of Waitangi. Twelve people were arrested yesterday after vandalising it using spray paint and an angle grinder to damage a wooden display panel. The group Te Wakaharua says the English text wrongly states that Māori ceded sovereignty. Jemima Houston reports. Māori legal expert Carwin Jones says Te Papa's Treaty of Waitangi exhibition needs to change. The Honorary Associate Professor of Māori Studies at Victoria University says there is confusion about Te Tiriti and Te Papa's exhibition adds to that. At the moment, the exhibition at Te Papa makes it look as though there are these two equal documents and there's some debate and discussion between them. Um, and, and we know that actually that's, that's not true. The protesters want the exhibition redesigned, with the large English version of the treaty removed and a direct translation of the te reo text added in. They say the display should make it explicit that Māori never ceded sovereignty, contrary to what's in the English document which Rangatira never signed. Carwin Jones backs those demands. He says the te reo Māori text is the substantive agreement and should be the basis of Te Papa's display. Explain some of the history of 
of how it's been interpreted and explain some of the differences between what the English version is and, and what Te Tiriti says. But I think really important for an institution like Te Papa to be really clear about centering uh, the Te Reo text of Te Tiriti. Te Wakahodua spokesperson Haimana Hinnity says the current exhibition misinforms people. The reasons why some people are espousing the rubbish about Te Tiriti out there is because official entities like Te Papa continue to hold on to a false narrative because they naturally think, well, Te Papa's saying it, well, so it must be true, and it's not true. Another member of the group, Kelly O'Neill, hopes the protest sparks further discussion about Te Tiriti. Why is it that we are focusing so much on the English version still and we see uh, you know, political parties as well that are upholding these colonial fictions at the moment and it is creating um, some really dangerous situations in our community and, and building racism and division. Te Papa's kaihotu, or Māori co-leader, Dr Arapata Hakiwai, is defending the exhibition, saying it does explain the critical difference between the Māori and English texts. That space was always there to engender a, a sense of debate, discussion, to provoke people into, into understanding that more, but um, the protest has felt otherwise. Te Papa has not said whether the exhibition will change as a result of the protest. But Carwin Jones says it is misleading for the museum to continue with the current display. And it's particularly important that this be addressed at this time where there is such important discussion which is going to be taking place around the place of Te Tiriti, around Te Ao Māori, as we respond to the government's coalition agreements and the policy programmes that they've laid out. He hopes Te Papa listens to the protesters. That report from Jemima Houston. Now, Te Papa has declined to be interviewed on Morning Report this morning, but Professor Margaret Mutu is a member of the Iwi Chairs Forum. She says the vandalism was a result of Te Papa not listening to pleas for the exhibition to be corrected. She says she had contacted the museum herself to try and have the exhibit corrected, but to no avail. Uh, Professor Mutu is with us now. Morena, good morning. Morning, Atamari. Do you support the protest action then? Uh, there is certainly a need for the display that is there in Te Papa to remove uh, the English document that they've got up there. That document was only ever Hobson's draft. It was Hobson's wish list. And, you know, most drafts get torn up and thrown away. But do but you think it's appropriate it? for... Uh, protesters to go in uh, with an abseil uh, with spray paint and with uh, an ankle grinder and take to the exhibit? Uh, that, that's not for me to comment about. The, why, the, why not? Because that's up to the people who have chosen to do what they do. But the group did approach National Iwi Chairs Forum to ask us whether the display that was in Te Papa should remain there. And National Iwi Chairs Forum was unanimous and said, no, it is misleading, it is wrong information, it should not be there. Were you not giving them permission then to do that or suggesting that that would be appropriate? We gave gave them that uh, decision of National Iwi Chairs Forum back in 2022. So uh, that was a long time ago. Why do you think they've done it now? Is this part of the political environment we're seeing with the new coalition government? Uh, you, you would need to ask them. I, I'm not part 
of that group. So you'd need to ask them why they've done it now. But it certainly is a time at which the new government has come out and said things that are hugely offensive to Māori, the very few rights that we have been able to claw back in the last 50 years are to be stripped away from us. So there is very heightened anxiety and heightened concern within the Māori world about what this new government is doing. Uh, And this display at Te Papa only adds to that anxiety because it's feeding false information to the public that the public have a right to rely on and yet the information is false. So as it stands with the uh, vandalism that's been done to the exhibit, what do you think should happen to that? Do you think that actually um, has value in demonstrating the feeling around Te Tiriti? Well, what needs to happen is that particular display needs to come down. And it should not be there. What was what was wrong with the? I mean, the, the Tapapa is saying that yes, there was an English version. That the discrepancies uh, between the treaty and Te Tiriti, both versions, is part of the exhibit. And this was part of the discussion to demonstrate the differences and the different interpretations and the misinterpretations. Uh, that was all part of it. So <clears throat> I need to go back to the point that. The English document that's there was Hobson's draft. It was Hobson's wish list. It was never, ever what was discussed or what was agreed. Now, you do not use a draft that was not agreed to and stand it up as something that has some standing. It has no standing. So why is it even there? What should be there is an accurate translation of what meant. What is up there at the moment, I, I have to repeat, was never ever discussed. It was never agreed to. Why is it even up there? And that is what academics have been publishing about for at least four decades. What response did you get from Te Papa with all of your None. approaches you've made? Just they ignored None. you or they... Yes, they ignored me. And the first time I did it was when... Um, an education display turned up at Waitangi one year and it was quite a few years ago and I went and I had a look at it and I said to the person who was there beside it do you realise that what you've got here is completely wrong that that thing there is nothing to do with the treaty it wasn't discussed, it wasn't agreed to it's got nothing to do with it why have you got it there and she said oh sorry I'm just here um for the museum, I just work for them and I said please, take it back to your employers and tell them they've got it wrong they need to get it right of course nothing happened, then I was down there, I said to them again please, your display is wrong, please correct it, take that down it's a draft, it was never accepted, it was never discussed please take it down, no, nothing Okay, well, we appreciate your time this morning. That is Professor Margaret Mutu, uh, member of the Iwi Chairs Forum, uh, just responding to the vandalism of the uh, treaty exhibition at the Papa Museum in Wellington. A Tauranga-based iwi has made an urgent claim to the Waitangi Tribunal, accusing the government of attacking Māori culture and language. The... uh, Nai Te Rangi Settlements Trust says the coalition is breaching Article 2 of the treaty by failing to protect te reo 
It is claiming the government is acting like a, quote, drunken sailor. The Māori Development and Treaty Negotiations uh, ministers have responded to RNZ's, uh, haven't responded to RNZ's requests for interviews. Joining us now is the Trust's chair, uh, Charlie Tafiao. Uh, kia ora, Charlie. Kia ora, the the action you have taken. What prompted this uh, this urgent measure? Um, I think the catalyst for us was um, what we found when during the day of national protest, which was Tuesday last week, and uh, a lot more people turned up uh, to support us than we expected. And within those people that that turned up, a lot of Pakeha, um allies turned up. And when I spoke to them about why they were there. Um, they were there for the same reason that we were there. There was a, there was an attack on all of the progress that's been made um, by Māori and by New Zealand over the last mm. 50 years um, that they saw being undermined and they, they feared for the future of their mokopuna. And so um, essentially that's the same purpose that we're, we're here for, is to build a better world for our mokopuna. Looking at your... Charlie, looking at that... Sorry to interrupt. Looking at the claim, a lot of the focus, as I was, uh, perhaps you were about to say, is around the, the, the language and Tareo and your yeah. fears yeah. around the language. What is it exactly that you fear is going backwards? What's being taken away? Well, I think if we just start with some of the pronouncements that's been made, that have been made about use of te reo in, in public life, um, use of the te reo by uh, public servants, um, and we're seeing that that scale back. The, uh, the very idea that the real is not relevant today just doesn't make sense, given the large numbers of our children and, and others' children who are graduating into real Māori and who rightfully expect to be able to communicate with the system in the real of their choice, which is an official language of New Zealand. So uh, we've chosen to focus on te reo because uh, there are some very clear potential breaches of the tertiary uh, in terms of the failure to, to safeguard te reo as a taonga, in terms of failure to actively protect Māori language, in, in terms of these arbitrary suspensions of Māori names for departments without going through due mm. process. We just, we just see those as, a, in combi- combination, an attack on te reo and, in, and indirectly an attack on Māori. And do you see it as an attack on the mana of the language because of this the shift that the coalition is arguing it wants in terms of English the, being the primary uh, name on a on a on a, on a name of a government department? You know the uh, the Waka Kotahi example. Is that what you're worried about? That's that's just the beginning of what we're worrying about. What what we're potentially worried about is the fact that having revived the language from where it was 50 years ago. We're now seeing it being pushed back into those times again. It just, it's just, it just seems ludicrous that we would have made this progress to suddenly reverse it as though te reo is no longer relevant. Mm. It is even more relevant today than it was 50 years ago. I, I think that we've got some dinosaurs um, behaving as though they're still in 1948. So what are you hoping that the tribunal can do here? Firstly, obviously an urgent hearing, but ultimately it, it can only make recommendations to the government, right? So what's the, what are you hoping it can achieve? Absolutely. Well, what we're hoping is that um, the government gives the tribunal an opportunity to guide them through this, um, through this mess they've made by ignoring the fact that there are already established principles of uh, fertility or waiting. And listening to Margaret Mutu just before, 
I have to support everything she says. Um, and, and the real the real challenge I think that we're facing now is if we are going to reopen the discussion around tertiary, then we're going to end up in the conversation that Markety has been talking about, which is tertiary is the only legitimate version we should be talking about, which encompasses and absolutely assures tinoranga tertiary. That's not a conversation New Zealand is ready to have, which is why we've got principles in place of the substance of the treaty. Charlie, but, just one, um, just one last question because we're way over time. All means let's do that. If I can just ask, there, we, there may be some who would point, push back, and say, "Look, there's no, in terms of Maori broadcasting support, in terms of the Maori Language Commission, uh, in terms of many aspects of New Zealand life where the language is." You know, pride in place takes a, a strong position. None of that will change under this government. I mean, we hear Christopher Luxon doing a mihi at the start of his briefings. He's arguing that he's a strong supporter of people doing Tadeo. He's just saying he wants to pull the government back a little bit from it. What would you say to that? I would say that if the government is not leading the charge on Tadeo, then they're actively working against it. It's as simple as that. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate that. That is Charlie uh, Tafiao uh, from the the Nai Te Rangi Settlements Trust. is a Tauranga-based iwi which has made an urgent claim to the Waitangi Tribunal accusing the government of attacking, attacking Māori culture and language. Well, Hamas is warning no hostage will leave Gaza alive unless its demands for Palestinian prisoners to be released are met. Intense fighting continues in parts of the Gaza Strip in the heavily populated southern city of Khan Yunus, where civilians were originally told to flee. Uh, Gaza is firing rockets into Israel from there. Tanks have reached the main north-south road and Israeli aircraft have been attacking an area to the west Dozens of people have been killed across Gaza in the past 24 hours, according to the Hamas-run health ministry. They now say more than 18,000 Palestinians have been killed in Gaza since Hamas launched its attacks on October the 7th. Associated Press's Philip Crowther is in Jerusalem and he joins us now. Uh, hi there, Philip. Welcome to the programme. Uh, well, there's no end to this violence, is there? Can you give us the latest uh, as you understand it? Well, Israeli soldiers are on the ground in Gaza's two largest cities. Uh, That includes Khan Yunus that you already mentioned. A new line of attack was opened there by the Israeli military last week. But it also includes Gaza City in the north and the Jalalia refugee camp. Uh, Thousands of of civilians are still there, including in the north of the Gaza Strip, despite those evacuation orders from the Israeli military telling them to move further and further south. Uh, Civilians are in their houses, in uh, shelters, in hospitals as well, that should be the safest places, but have proven not to be uh, over the last few weeks. Uh, As you mentioned, Hamas-controlled health ministry in the Gaza Strip says now that over 18,000 Palestinians have been killed, and 85% of the 2.3 million who live in the Gaza Strip have fled their homes, most of them further south, of course, uh, that is supposed to be safer, but clearly is not either. No safe place, according to many humanitarian aid organizations who are in the field. Mm. What about uh, Netanyahu's claims of Palestinians surrendering? We've seen more horrific images coming out indicating that. 
Yeah, and he uh, says that uh, it's the beginning of the end for Hamas. Those are the words of Benjamin Netanyahu, the Israeli prime minister. Uh, there is no way for us to prove whether these really are Hamas fighters uh, who are surrendering and whether the leadership of Hamas is weakening. That is the view uh, of the Israeli government uh, right now. Uh, that is something that is impossible to verify uh, on the ground. Uh, we do see, though, that that Hamas resistance is still very strong. And that includes in parts of the Gaza Strip, like the aforementioned north, uh, where Israeli ground troops have been for six weeks already. Uh, there is still fighting going on in those cities. There is no end in sight, really, uh, to the battles. Uh, but uh, And the, that means that the movement of uh, refugees further and further south uh, is continuing. And the resurrection of any sort of ceasefire is looking increasingly less likely. Uh, Qatar still in negotiations there. What can you tell us? Yeah, Qatar is uh, is the mediator essentially between Hamas and Israel and doesn't see much hope for a ceasefire or a humanitarian pause. Uh, that's uh, one term for a short uh, ceasefire. There doesn't seem to be much hope for one. That would also uh, preclude, in theory, any kind of uh, hostage releases uh, from Hamas. Uh, there might be, and there is likely, in fact, to be another vote in the UN General Assembly in New York on Tuesday calling for a ceasefire. Uh, that is a non-binding vote and one where the United States does not have a veto power. Uh, it was a very frustrating uh, veto from the United States on Friday, frustrating for many, uh, with the exception, of course, of the Israeli government. That frustration led, by the way, uh, to a general strike uh, organized by Palestinian activists in the likes of the West Bank, uh, also in Lebanon, and also here in uh, East Jerusalem, where all businesses were closed today. Uh, the frustration clear uh, that there doesn't seem to be the possibility of a ceasefire uh, in the very near future. Appreciate your time this morning. That is Associated Press's uh, Philip Crowther for us in Jerusalem. You've been listening to Morning Report Top Stories. 